Before we begin, we wanted to let you know about some of the ways you can support Accentricity. We've recently asked the incredible artist Kat Ingle to design our first Accentricity t-shirts. If you'd like to get yourself one, you can find a link in the episode description, where you'll also find links to our Patreon and Steady subscription pages, where you can pledge a small monthly donation. You can give one-off donations via the Support the Podcast page on the website. Thanks to our current supporters and past donations, we've been able to run the Move-In project without any additional funding and at no cost to the participants. We'd like to keep doing things like this in the future, and your support will help us to do so. This is Accentricity Series 2, The Moving Project. Stories about migration, language and identity from around the world. Over the past year, we've been teaching a free online course on how to podcast, and helping a group of people to tell personal stories about the experience of moving from one place to another. This is Lisa's story. Lisa moved from Hamburg in Germany to Bamberg, which is also in Germany, but is in many ways a million miles away. It was a migration that happened to her rather than one that she sought out. And she had to negotiate cultural differences and linguistic differences as well as the challenges of being separated from the people and places she knew. First, you'll hear Lisa's 10-minute audio piece, in which she focuses in on some of the regional linguistic differences between Hamburg and Bamberg as a way of telling her migration story. Afterwards, you'll hear a conversation we had shortly after she finished it, where we talk a bit about temporary migration, the compulsory mobility that's built into certain careers, and the effect that has on people's lives. And, very excitingly, she'll also tell you about her own podcasting plans for the future. But first, here's her audio piece. Hi everyone, I'm Lisa, and I'm going to tell you a story about moving across Germany, home, and different regional ways of greeting someone in German. In the spring of 2017, I was working at the University of Hamburg in Northern Germany, and I had just started my PhD in linguistics. Then one day, my boss told me that she had found another job at a different university in a city called Bamberg, or in German, Bamberg. She said that she would love to take me and my colleagues with her, and that I should think about moving with her to Bamberg, to the other side of the country. The news came as a shock. At this point in time, I had been living in Hamburg since I had started my bachelor's degree more than seven years before. Most of my friends lived there. My family was close by. I had also lived in northern Germany all my life, and to be honest, I had not planned on living anywhere else, ever. Also, I didn't know the first thing about this new city, Bamberg. Well, I had heard the name before. And I figured it had to be somewhere in Bavaria, so southern Germany. And that probably meant it was quite Catholic, so like the opposite of Hamburg. Doing a little research didn't help all that much with calming my nerves. Bamberg is a small city, supposedly very beautiful, 
but still four and a half hours by train to see my friends and at least five and a half hours to see my family. After a lot of thinking, I did decide to move to Bamberg, but from the moment I had made that decision, my anxiety started to build. Would I like living in a smallish Bavarian city? How could I possibly fit in there? And I wasn't alone with my concerns. I remember I thought it's kind of unfitting. That's one of my oldest friends, Nele, recalling what she thought when I told her the news. I don't know, you just belong to Hamburg. It's just, uh, <laughs> you've lived there for so long and it really suited you. Like, it was just a much better fit and I couldn't really imagine you going to Bavaria and then to such a small town where they are not where there's not this huge uh, cultural scene and all the stuff um, that you enjoy. One of my biggest concerns was the language barrier. Bavarians are known to be very proud of their heritage and their dialect. Would I be able to understand the people in Bamberg? And would they be able to understand me? It's not like I speak in a heavy dialect all the time. In fact, I am not even a competent speaker of Lower German, which is the regional variety of Northern Germany. But still, my language gives me away. I sound decidedly Northern, you can ask anyone. And I was afraid that I would be ridiculed for it. To give you a bit of context, the different regional dialects of Germany are quite different from one another. If someone is a speaker of, say, the Saxonian dialect of Eastern Germany, they will have a really hard time understanding someone talking in Swabian or Bavarian. And as a rule of thumb, the farther south you go in Germany, the more people are fluent in a dialect. Standard has um, widely eliminated dialect in um, most parts of northern Germany. That was Dr. Vincent Schwab. He's a former co-worker of mine who now works at the Bavarian Academy of Sciences and Humanities. And as a Bavarian himself, he knows a bit more about Bavaria's relationship to its dialects. For example, old dialects of the Berlin region or the Ruhr area um, are retreating and there are only traces of kind of a regiolect um, vivid there right now. Whereas in most parts of southern Germany, um, lots of speakers um, tend to use their dialect in, in everyday conversation. It's widely accepted to speak dialect in different occasions. Um, you can even use your dialect at work or um, use slang, uses some dialect terms and phrases as well. And that's kind of specific for the Bavarian or um, Southern German region. It is even used in the Bavarian parliament, like it's no big deal. It's part of the brand, so to say. Even though a lot of Germans do not speak a dialect, you can pretty much always figure out where someone is from by the greetings they use. In an introductory German class, you would probably learn that the standard formal way of greeting someone hello is Guten Tag, which translates to good day. The informal standard way is Hallo, which corresponds nicely with the English hello. For goodbye, you can use either the formal Auf Wiedersehen or the more informal Tschüss. In addition, there are a lot of regional ways of greeting someone. It, it works like an identifier. If um, The first time we met, um, I can remember the first thing you said was Moin. Didn't need a lot of time to identify where you come from. Uh, southern parts um, would tend to greet 
ourselves by saying Servus. And then there is also Grüß Gott, which is a very popular way of greeting someone in southern Germany. This translates to May God greet you. And I have to admit, that somehow makes me feel a bit uncomfortable. Granted, it is not the only German greeting that has religious roots. Talking about Tschüss, um, nobody's aware of what it actually means, as the etymology leads us to the same result as for Ade. It means Ad Deum, the French Adieu, and that is the same as Grüß Gott, so it means um, to God. Even though I get that both Tschüss and Grüß Gott are etymologically religious greetings, I still feel Grüß Gott is way more on the nose. But then again, someone from northern Germany, I have also not spent years and years and years of saying Grüß Gott dozens of times every day. If you say something as often as hello, it kind of automatically loses all its lexical meaning. It's a part of the identity here. If you hear people greeting themselves by Grüß Gott, you know they come from southern parts of Germany. That's a typical Bavarian thing. And if you don't use it, it even shows that you don't ident identify with this part of the culture here. Thankfully, when I came to Bamberg, the language barrier did not in fact present itself as the huge problem I had feared it would be. It turns out, when you work at a university in a relatively small city, most people you come in contact with are not actually from there. Lots of people who work at the university are originally from somewhere else, just like me. The students, of course, are from all over Germany, or rather, all over the world. And even the locals who work at the university don't use that dialect at work. Maybe an educational facility like a university just does not feel like the right place for a dialect. Also, fortunately, no one is taunting me for the way I speak, at least not to my face. But they definitely do pick up on my way of talking. Sometimes my landlord or co-worker will comment on some particularly northern words I use. But in general, they seem to find it rather charming, thank goodness. But even outside of work, I have not found the dialect to be as widely used as I had imagined. Except for one thing, the greetings. I'm still very confused when people actually say Grüß Gott to me, even though I was prepared for this. But I did not anticipate that Bamberg also has a hyper-local way of saying goodbye. Adela. You would never say this anywhere else in Germany, and it's typical of this Franconian region. It is a variation of Ade. Ade is um, not only Franconian, it's in southwest Germany, a very common form as in, for example, um, the Allgäu region, everybody would use Ade. But the people in Bambeck don't say Ade, they say Adela. The La ending is very typical for the city and the surrounding area. It is what we call a diminutive. It makes a word smaller or cuter. For example, a bag would be Zack, and a small bag would be Zackla. And so Adela is a small goodbye, so to say. It is a fun, endearing quirk of the Bambergians that they even try to make the goodbye cuter. It makes the farewell seem not as long and not as bad as a short tschüss or tschüss can make it seem. Adela is also an immediate identifier of where you come from and it fits well with what I have learned about the town and the people so far. 
traditional, down-to-earth, approachable, lovable. But it is also a reminder that I can never be one of them. Out of my northern mouth, Adela does not seem half as cute, not as earnest. It is a reminder to me that I only live here temporarily, and that that is fine. As of today, I have been living in Bamberg for more than three years. It is still very hard for me to be so far away from my friends and family. I still miss living in a big city. Right now, I am working on finishing my PhD. I hope I will be done sometime in 2021, and maybe then I will be able to move back north, to my family, my friends, to a place where people talk like me, to a place where people say Moin. Thank you all for listening to my story. To Vincent Schwab from the Bavarian Academy of Sciences and Humanities for taking the time to talk with me and to Nele for remembering her reactions. Tschüss! I have moved for work and I work um, at a university and I don't know if the listeners are aware, but uh, working at the university is always very, very short term. So I've moved here to Bamberg for, for a particular job. Now I've got a different job at the same university, but still it will be maximum one and a half years more here. And then hopefully I will be able to move back. Yeah. So the temporary nature of that move does that make it different do you think from if you were moving for good i guess so yeah um because i think now that i'm thinking short term um, i think i'm not getting as involved uh, with the community here as i could i am really not that good with doing that anyway it takes me a long time to get somewhere and really start getting involved but now that i know that i'm moving back anyway at some point um i'm more reluctant than i would have been anyway and that of course uh, ties in with uh using my language down here and with people who come from here and who don't just work at the same place i work yeah I can yeah, definitely right. relate to this, I think, um, this kind of feeling of how do you put roots down in a place when you know that you're not going to be there for mm -hmm. very long? Are there any ways that you've put down roots in Bamberg? Well, um, well, I've made a few friends here, so that's great, but it's I have not joined uh, any clubs or anything uh, outside of university, really. Um, no, no, I have to say, I have not really put down roots here yet. No, but that's also because I moved here with a good friend and co-worker of mine. So I always had someone from back home with me um, as my support system here. And I didn't really have to look for someone here for people to uh, to be my friends here. Because I always had people from back home. Um, yeah. And are they still in? Are they still with you? Your moving buddy? 
Uh, no, she uh, moved back actually in 2020 because um, she she was living with me, but also with her boyfriend in Hamburg. And um, she got back at the end of the winter semester semester uh, last year, and she never came back because of Corona. And uh, and then she found a job and finished her PhD earlier than expected. So uh, now I'm all alone here. Oh no. <laughs> And how's that been during COVID? Because that's one thing that for me, so I'm, I moved to Manchester in February and I thought, okay, I'm moving to a new place. I'm going to get out there. I'm going to meet people. I'm going to see the city. And then almost immediately we, <laughs> we had a <laughs> pandemic. So, and I think I have found it really difficult being unable to visit the plan was that I was going to be able to go and see my friends and family and now for one thing there's kind of no point in me being in Manchester because I'm working (laughs) online Mm -hmm. (laughs) and for another thing like we're not able to go and see people how are you finding that um well I thank goodness every day for the internet and for Mm -hmm. the great internet I have um because all day, every day, I'm Skyping with my friends in Hamburg who are working at universities. Or oh, right now, there's some people at a university in Hamburg and uh, another friend in Stuttgart, the university. And um, every morning, we get together and talk about our plans for the day. And so I'm keeping in touch with people. And I'm so grateful because otherwise, I would not have been able to get any work done in 2020. I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> And thankfully, for um, the most part of last year, I was able to meet with a friend who's um, from a neighboring town here and we would um, eat outside or take a walk and have a coffee so I could meet someone in real life uh, every week. That was great. I wondered what you thought of it because you were saying, you know, jobs, university jobs, but I think a lot of jobs for our kind of age group in different fields are getting more temporary. Hmm. And... It's more common to have a series of temporary contracts rather than a permanent job. And it's also pretty common to be asked to move for work. It's something... So I love my job. I should should be clear about that. (laughs) I absolutely love my job. And I was willing to move for this job because I knew it was the job for me. But I sometimes feel a little bit resentful that there's such an expectation that you Mm. will just move for work and that your personal life isn't going to matter. Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked about there your friend living living in Bamberg, but having also living with her boyfriend really, really far away. You know, for for other people, you would have to be moving children as well, and mm-hmm. you know, like maybe moving a partner who who has a, a career as well. Yeah, actually, another friend and coworker of ours. Um, was living with her husband in Hamburg and she decided she couldn't afford a second apartment. So she would uh, take the train for four and a half hours every week to get down here and sleep on our couch two nights a week and drive back. And then she got pregnant and she did that until she was uh, in her eighth month. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And thankfully she now has a different job and uh, could afford not to uh, come down here to Bavaria every week but that was very hard yeah it's something that I sometimes feel a little bit 
resentful about and I wondered mm. if was there ever a point where you thought about not leaving Hamburg yeah I I thought about that but really I did not see any alternatives as stupid as that may sound mm. but I had well I had just started my PhD and I was all set and ready to go and really motivated and I was like okay so my boss is going to Bavaria, she's taking my job and my data and uh, my employment and everything I need for that job with her. And I really didn't know what else to do. I had not lined up another job and um, at that point didn't know what I wanted to do apart from uh, doing a PhD. <laughs> so I really didn't see a choice there, I guess. Yeah. Mm. And at that point I had a, I had a boyfriend who was living in the north uh, western end of Germany. So that was three and a half hours away from Hamburg in a different direction, actually. So, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, so, so before you moved, you already had a long distance relationship. Yeah. So this just made the distance even <laughs> further. Yeah. Wow. So that must have been really difficult. Yeah, it was. It was. And it didn't work out in the end. Yeah. Do you think the distance had anything to do with that or just mm. growing up and moving on? Well, it didn't help. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even though in the beginning um, I wasn't teaching, so I was able to spend a whole week somewhere else and then come back here for a week, mm. Um, mm. Which, um, which I would not have been able to do in 2019. But um, when I first came here, it was possible. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like there ever is a tension for you between there just I just don't think there should be a tension between choosing your personal life and work but do you think there ever yeah. is for you yeah I the rules for academic employment in Germany are quite strict um, there's this thing where you're only allowed to be employed six years while you're doing your PhD and after that you're only allowed to work on a project on projects but not directly at the university and once you get your PhD you get six years to get a tenured professorship and if you don't you're out so that's a, another factor and that is kind of the reason why I decided that I will probably not stay in academia because postdoc positions are usually for one year or one and a half or maybe two if you're lucky and then you have to move like three four five times in the span of six years and at the end of six years they say goodbye now find another career altogether and um, I'm not willing to take that risk. Mm. I really wish that we lived in a world where you could just follow the things that you're interested in without yeah. having to without having to adopt a particular lifestyle to, to mm -hmm. suit that I have friends with all kinds of different jobs who have similar experiences but I think there are quite a lot of careers where you really have to buy into a lifestyle mm -hmm. in order to follow it even if you would quite like to be someone who just Oh, I just study language, but also work a nine to five and see my friends at weekends. <laughs> yeah, in particular, because like I work directly for the state and it's not like the need for my job to be done is getting is going away anytime soon. It's not seasonal employment. 
there really is no reason for my contract to be that short. There isn't. When I'm done, they will just get someone new off the rack. And then I will be gone with my years of experience and uh, someone completely new will have to do my job. And once they're all worked in and know what they're doing, they will leave again and someone entirely new with no work experience at all is going to come in. That's just not tenable in in my opinion. Mm. I think uh, we're kind of doing a disservice to the students there, mm -hmm. but the students mostly don't know about um, the way um, it works in academia. Thank mm. goodness. Um, I didn't know about it until I started working in academia, actually. Mm. And unfortunately, I don't think I necessarily see the temporary contracts the proliferation of temporary contracts in academia and elsewhere going away anytime soon because mm -hmm. I think I think it works out quite well for employers higher up the oh, chain yeah. in that it means we're constantly on our toes and um, thinking about ways to make sure that we get another job after this mm -hmm. one um, but I do wonder if um, the expectation for you to move around for work might change now that we have proved how much we're able to work remotely during COVID. Mm, I think that might depend on the teaching load and um, if they want people to teach in person. A friend of mine just got a temporary job at a university um, for the next 12 months and uh, with she was explicitly told that she does not have to uh, move to the place she doesn't even have to come there well i guess once or twice but that's all mm. that's great i know some people say it's really bad for their mental health to be working from home and not seeing people every day mm. um personally i think it's been great for mine uh, obviously <laughs> the pandemic has not but um not having to commute I think has been fantastic oh, yeah. <laughs> um so I mean unfortunately I actually currently live in a place very very close to my workplace um mm. but in so I, it would have been yeah it would have worked out really well but in Glasgow I was commuting quite far into work and it was just really exhausting so mm. I don't miss that <laughs> yeah at <laughs> the beginning I, I was missing my commute a bit it's only like 12 minutes on foot because Bamberg is a small town you can get anywhere really fast and uh, my the office I had before that is just across the street mm. and um, but when COVID hit and I was able to work from home um, I was really missing that commute because it's also time to to um, to power down and mm. to really get your head clear from all the work stuff and then you get home and once you close the door behind you, you're home and um, it's um, firearmed, as we call it in German. That's just the time after work, the time that's just for you. And now now I don't have that anymore because I'm working in my home. There's no, no door to close. So I have to figure out how to, uh, how to um, make a different kind of commute for myself from one room to another something like that <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's yeah tricky. with my roommate uh, moving out i was able to for the first time have have an have really do have an office in my home so now i, re I 
make a point of actually commuting from my office to the kitchen or to the living room at the end of the day. At least then there's some kind of door you can close. Yeah. Even if it's an internal one. Mm-hmm. Um, I wondered about, so I sometimes think about, like, try to, try to imagine, when I'm sort of looking at the expectations of people of our age group in terms of working and moving, um, I sometimes try and imagine who this ideal person is, mm. who I suppose someone with no social life, someone with no ties, who's happy to just, who puts their career above everything and is happy to just pick up their belongings and go. And then it got me thinking about, like, there's a kind of a cultural idea, I think, of, like, rootlessness as being this aspirational thing. So -hmm. if you think about kind of, like, I don't know, like, Instagram influencers, it's like, yeah, I'm a globetrotter. (laughs) One day I'm in Paris, the next day I'm in Tokyo. Who even knows where I actually live? (laughs) (laughs) And I I think that just more and more, if I'm being honest, like at, at points in my life, I might have been like, yeah, you know, who knows where I'm going to live when I'm older. I'm just, I don't even care. But if I'm honest, I think being rooted in a community is actually quite important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's quite uncool, but I think <laughs> that, you know, I, I kind of want to have a place that is mm-hmm. a physical geographical place that is my home. So I wondered for you, like, is that is that something you feel like you're looking for longer term or are you happy to keep moving from place to place? Or do you already know exactly where home is? <laughs> no, that's definitely what I'm looking for. That's uh, that's one of the reasons why I definitely I definitely plan on moving back north um, to Hamburg. Uh, that would be ideal because that's where my friends live and well, they live there now, who knows where they're going to work next year. Um, But um, right now that would be ideal or somewhere near there. Um, Just because everyone I know basically and everyone I like lives there, most Mm -hmm. of the people. Yeah. Yeah, but I see what you mean. And I think there's two sides to this. I think on the one hand, there's this romanticized notion of um, that lifestyle and living everywhere at once. But on the other hand, from what I've gathered within academia, at least, that is a thing hmm, that expectation really works well for for men, but really not that well for women, because we are all expected to move anywhere. Mm-hmm. But I think it's really suited for for married men, actually, because there's the expectation that um, their spouses will just pack up and move with them. Yeah, but with, like with, married with men. unmarried women, it's always, yeah. oh, who knows when you're going to find a spouse and want to settle down. And then mm. who knows if you're going to get pregnant at some point and won't be able to move around so much. And that's really icky. It feels really conservative while looking very progressive on the uh, um, on the surface. Uh. I think you're terrifyingly right. It's really true. And I think that like, yeah, so I'm talking about this ideal person. I guess I mean an ideal version of myself. Like, how would I? <laughs> but actually, the ideal person is probably a straight white man in the past. Or like in or in a very conservative kind of 
yeah I've noticed in recent years a lot of uh, younger women leaving academia Hmm. much more so Um, and that's a little bit of a worry I think I do I do worry that at some point academia might just be three men (laughs) 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 working out how things work together (laughs) three rich white men Let's um, hope it doesn't come to that. I hope I do. I hope not. Thankfully, I, I know of some uh, people who are not uh, rich old yes. white dudes who have gotten permanent positions. In, yeah, in, there are still some of us hanging in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. I think that there's the expectation of rootlessness makes certain assumptions about who you are and your position in society. And it does assume a kind of privilege but do you feel that that Hamburg is your home and it's the place that you'll return? It's the place where your roots are. Mm, let's say northwestern Germany more broadly, maybe not. My home home is not uh, Hamburg, but Hamburg has become my home, so to say. So let's say anywhere between like uh, Hamburg and let's say Bremen, I I would consider home there. Mm. I think it would be easy for me to settle down anywhere between there, between those places. Is Bremen your hometown? Mm, Not even actually that, but it's the next biggest town Ah. from the village where where, uh, my parents live. It's and does that forty kilometers away? Oh, that's yeah. that's quite far. <laughs> <laughs> and does the village does the village still feel like home to you? In some sense, do you feel like you have a home in Hamburg and you have a home there? Mm, in a way, like of course, that's where my family is. That's where I'm from. But uh, none of my friends are there still because everyone uh, went to the big city to get jobs. Uh, some people are returning, but really not that many. And Quite often when you're from a small village, your friends are not from that small village, but uh-huh. from small villages from radius of 20 to 30 kilometers around it. And so it's really not well, my support system insofar as my family is there, of course, but uh, the rest of my community, not so much, I guess uh, that has become Hamburg. Yeah. And my parents have accepted that actually quite a few years ago. Uh, they weren't happy about that, but they were like, yeah, okay, we we kind of think you're not coming back. <laughs> Did they want you to come back initially when you were younger? I think so. I think that's just what all parents want, right? When the children... Uh, leave the nest at first the, they well at first they're probably a bit happy to have some uh, alone time and then ah, they of course um they miss their children and hope that sometime they're coming back mm-hmm. but well now they've accepted that ah, no there's really not that much for me in my old village i guess because I used to love going to concerts, for example, or to do all kinds of cultural stuff. And there's just nothing of that sort where I come from. That's not a thing that happens in small towns, really. And well, Hamburg is heaven in that regard. Mm. (laughs) 
I remember moving there and I could not believe that there were several alternative indie concerts at the same evening and they were both sold out. That was crazy to me. <laughs> so, because I guess in a way you've had, have you had kind of two big migrations in your life? The first mm -hmm. one to Hamburg and the second to oh, Bamberg. Yeah. So how do they compare like those two experiences? Oh, they are really, really different because uh, when I migrated to Hamburg, at first I came home every weekend because it was the first time that I left home and I, well, I did the typical uh, college student stuff. I brought my dirty laundry home every weekend and I uh, was glad that my mother and father cooked for me. Well, mostly my father on the weekends, but most of my friends actually um, hadn't left um, for university yet, only very few and a lot of them were still home. So I was able to meet them when I came back home on the weekends and the ties between my home village and Hamburg were uh, stronger in that time. And now that I've moved so far away, there's really it's really hard to keep in contact with anyone from my old life except for um, my roommate who, well, who is, has left now, um, but um, who I'm talking to quite regularly, actually. So that's nice. Yeah. So yeah, moving from Hamburg uh, to Bamberg was a much bigger break, even though the first uh, move was, hmm, it was more, it felt more monumental in a way, because it was the first move and it was um, my first time living alone and all that. And now I'm, well, I'm quite accustomed to living alone by now, but it's um, weird to, it's different living alone when you have a, a community around you and living alone when there's no community around you to support you or at least not that big of a community it's not like i don't know anyone here um and if i needed help i, I would get it <laughs> i'm pretty sure but it's still quite different yeah but it it gave uh, lots of my friends um a good reason to um do a little vacation in bavaria then so that was nice <laughs> and you're absolutely right thank god for the internet because this whole pandemic would have been an entirely different proposition. And I know for a lot of people it is, because obviously a lot of people don't have, don't have good, don't have internet connection or don't have good internet connection mm. and just don't have that technology and it must be an absolute nightmare. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I just can't imagine being, feeling that cut off from everybody. Oh, yeah. Actually, in, in a weird way, I've gotten closer to a lot of people during COVID because it's so easy to get in contact now. And at the beginning of the pandemic, we were all panicked to keep in touch with mm. everyone because mm. we were all fearing we would lose contact with everyone and going into isolation. Mm. And that's how we how and why we set up the um, daily Skype meeting. Mm. Um, but also I'm scheduling um, phone calls with my friends way more often and um, more rigorously, I guess. Every mm -hmm. few weeks we go through a mind thinking, oh, who haven't I talked to in the last two weeks mm -hmm. that would not have happened otherwise, I think, or it, it didn't happen in my life at least. And I'm actually quite thankful for that now. That's You're absolutely it. right. I think I've become a bit of a better digital friend during yeah. COVID. And mm -hmm. I think that 
digital friend my digital <laughs> communities have definitely grown stronger than they used to be oh, yeah. and that's that's yeah. been one thing that's really nice yeah i've always been really bad with um reaching out to people for no particular reason if you know what i mean like if there wasn't a reason to call someone or to text someone i always felt kind of stupid because I don't know, it's always weird when someone texts you just like, hi, how are you? And they're like, okay, hi, how are you? And then that's that. Yeah, do you have any news? No, because nothing's happened. Do yeah, you? or <laughs> there's a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, but during COVID, I think that's, we've all, we're all making more of an effort. And mm. I see that in myself and I'm really glad about that. I'm, I'm I'm getting to be a better friend through mm. COVID, which is a really weird thing to say, but I think it's true. No, that's that's great. Yeah, I think I I feel the same, and it's it's been it's been nice to go through that that particular change. The one other thing I wanted to well, I wanted to chat to you about podcasting a bit in general. So, mm. so we absolutely loved the way that you tell your story in this in your podcast episode. Um, we thought it was so so warm and so much of your personality in it but also you incorporate lexicography and like really as a really interesting part of your story and I can't remember if I said this to you before but when you first kind of pitched the idea (laughs) I I was like yeah lexicography and John was like is that going to be interesting and it really really is because you said that to me yeah he was like one of our last meetings I'm not sure but it it has it obviously has worked really really well um and I know that you're kind of interested in science communication I think that really shows in your piece yeah I've I've gotten a bit of I, I think and hope I've gotten quite good at making core linguistics topics interesting to people who are not that into linguistics because I've been writing a blog with with a friend of mine for I think the last four years oh oh I think it's turning five this year which is really a really weird thing somehow yeah and we've been uh, writing this linguistics blog for lay people for Mm. the last five years apparently Mm. and uh, thank God over the over those years I have picked up some uh, skills mm, I guess. Mm. so like I think one of the things that was I thought was particularly successful in this uh, episode that you made is the way that you link the the kind of the science of lexicography to the human element and the kind of human experience in a way that works really really well and yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was a really clever piece of storytelling. And it, yeah, the, the fact that you've been blogging about language for a non-specialist audience for so long, I'm sure has has really has taught you quite a lot about about how to communicate things. But I still made the same mistakes at first because I always start way too big, mm. <laughs> and my co-writer always has to say, nah, that's too many things at once. Just pick one thing or yeah, I know this tangent is interesting to you, but it really reads like a tangent. Don't mm-hmm. put that in here. Mm. I'm the same though. I always start way too big. I think that's that's the instinct that I'm always yeah. fighting against. So are you going to be continuing with podcasting? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I have actually been talking to different friends about that for the past two or three years, Ah. I think. 
I've always planned on having my own uh, linguistics podcast since um, there really aren't that many linguistics or language podcasts in German. There are like uh, a few and half of those are very new. And um, I've always seen a niche there for me to slide into. And um, yeah, this year finally is going to be the year. If I can't visit with friends and uh, go to concerts, now's the time to really start that podcast to um, to fulfill a, a cliche here. Yes. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. And um, it, yeah, it is certainly there have been a lot of podcasts popping up it's going to be just going to be a question of which ones endure but Mm -hmm. um and who who still has the energy for it post pandemic but I think that um I don't know I've loved podcasting during the pandemic because it just is such a great way to feel connected to the world and to other people Mm -hmm. and to sort of incorporate interesting conversations into your day oh Um, yeah and I really think I think knowing about language and linguistics is so important for people who are not in academia and very few people realize that like it's so important for policy making and all the different things but people just don't know because they aren't getting taught in school in school school they're getting taught a bit of rhetorics and then uh, how to write properly but nobody tells them why and they're told, well, you have to write this way and otherwise it's bad, which is really not true from an academic standpoint. I'm really against that. And it's really hard to change people's minds afterwards. And that's why I think it's really important to do a lot of linguistics communication and to find a way in and to change people's minds there. Language um, is just such a uh, such a huge part of who we are, isn't yeah. it? And, and, and it's so interesting. And I do think it's something that pretty much everybody's interested in. Like, I think that if you were to do a graph of like the the number of people who are who have some kind of interest in language and the number of people who think they're interested in linguistics, mm. there would be a huge disparity there because so mm. many people, if you said the word linguistics to them, would be like, oh, nah. Or, you know, if you talked about studying language, they would assume that it was going to be, that the study of language would be like, I before E, except after C. Like this, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, some kind of like weird weird spelling or grammar, mm. grammar rules that you get taught in school. Um, but actually, when you talk to people about the way that humans speak to each other it's something most people are interested in in some capacity um even if it's just to be like oh I like that accent and I don't like the way these people speak or Mm. you know it's still an interest so I think you're totally right and I think it's I think the communication and it's so much to do with like social justice as well and oh totally like the work you do with the accents um especially in the multilingualism like when when people talk about language stuff here in Germany, in the public, it's always about, oh, um, so and so many kids uh, don't speak German at home. That's terrible. I'm like, no, that's not just totally fine. That's actually great. We love it. Just give us more multilingual kids. Why not? But people don't understand the science behind it. And so they're maybe afraid, I guess, of what might happen. and. That would be a way. That would be a point where it would be really important to tell people what's really going on. Mm, absolutely, yeah. and yeah, like language policy has a huge, 
huge effect on people's lives and mm-hmm. yeah linguistics isn't just for linguists I think yeah. and and it doesn't belong in textbooks it belongs in the world I mean yes. it does belong in textbooks yeah. too sure, but. <laughs> actually I would love for there to be way more linguistics and textbooks um, <laughs> in Germany all the German textbooks are literature basically oh, okay. <laughs> there's really not that much grammar involved at all oh um, very interesting yeah yeah, and, and always, mm. always written language gets put above spoken language, doesn't yeah. it? Which I know it happens and, for a reason. But. And it's so funny in a way, because orthography is like the only part of a language that really has rules. Well, of course, everything about a language has rules, but re- rules that can be sanctioned. Like um, there is a certain way you have to write and that is right and that's wrong. And nothing else about language works that way Mm. nothing not the way we sound or talk or the way we put a sentence together in uh, in spoken language that's really not it and um i what i really loved about learning about linguistics for the first time is it's like looking behind the curtain of language and now finally you understand why you say that thing and even the realization that there can be a reason why you use language a certain way was an epiphany for me back then. And I told everyone who wanted to know and everyone else as well. And they were like, okay, yeah, calm down. But that was just because they didn't know that um, there really is a scientific reason why you put the words in a sentence in the way, in the order you do. And why we all make the same um, mistakes when we learn a new language or when we learn how to write. And and even if you are a bad speller, there's a reason why you are a bad speller. And it's not because you're not as intelligent, but because you're you're just using different rules. Ah. Absolutely. I think that learning about language has made me understand myself better. It's made me understand other people better the mm-hmm. relationships between other people, society, culture, my community, like... Makes me way more tolerant. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so yeah, everybody should do it, but not everybody should have to be reading reading lots of textbooks and doing no. courses to do it, which is why linguistics podcasts are great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but obviously, if people want to do courses and read textbooks, then, you know, oh, yeah. I'm not bad-mouthing textbooks, I'm just saying... <laughs> Um, so what, um, so what is your podcast going to, have you got ideas about, have you got like a name for it? Have you got thoughts about what you're going to cover? Oh, yeah. Mm. Um, the name is going to be Ausgeschrieben. That's, um, a German verb. It's the past participle of, um, Ausschreiben. That's to write down and to write it all down. Basically, like if you had an abbreviation and then you would write the whole word. I don't know if there's, is there a verb for that in English? There are so many verbs in German that we don't have an English equivalent <laughs> for. You guys have so many more. Um, I don't know. I'm sure there are ones that go the other way where we have a word in English and there's not one in German, but I don't know of any. Okay, um, yeah. Yeah, no, I don't think we do. Kind of huh. like extending. Like when you would not write UK, but United Kingdom. And uh, uh, is there a way to tell someone, no, don't write UK, just write the whole thing? Is- the way to say that you'd maybe say like longhand rather than shorthand oh. but mm-hmm. yeah I don't think there really is I think okay I think you guys have that one ha. <laughs> all right yeah so that's um that's the name of the podcast and uh, my plan is to explain the way we write today with through language history 
through the history of German because German is such an old language and the writing system is so old that there are like fossils to be found in today's writing. It's kind of like in English, you know how you never know how to write a word, an English word you, you haven't seen before. It's really hard to know how to write a word. And especially in England, it's really hard to know how to pronounce a word if you see it written down, especially with place names, because they are so old mm -hmm. that the rules for writing stuff down were so different back then. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of stuff is, is enshrined in the way uh, we write today. And I want to uh, have a look um, and um, find a few of those fossils and um, to explain to people, um, for example, um, I want to look into um, the way we use uppercase letters in German. I, you probably know that we use a lot of uppercase letters for every noun, for example. That's actually the um, topic of my PhD, um, to figure out the way the uppercase letters emerge and how they spread. And there, there are good reasons why we do that today. or. Um, the way we use, uh, we write long vowels and short vowels, how we signal that. There are reasons for that and um, or where the SZ comes from. That's that weird letter we have in German. That's the S sound. I don't know if you've seen, it looks like a better, like the, the Greek. Yes. Um, yeah, I do know it. Yeah. Uh, letter, beta. Yeah. Yeah. Like um, it, this has a fun origin story and um, stuff like that. Yeah, why nobody knows how to pronounce my name is going to be in there. Because <laughs> German speakers, I've never met a German speaker who, who pronounced it right on the first try. Because mm. it's one of those things where um, the, the consonants signal that the vowel is going to be short, mm. but it's not. Okay. Um, and there's a reason for that. That's and I'm really, really excited uh, just talking about talking about it. <laughs> A million thank yous to Lisa for telling her story in such a dynamic, fun and engaging way. We're really excited to be part of the story of how she started podcasting. Thanks as always to the Accentricity team, John McDermott and Martha Ryan, to Seb Philp for the music and to Aileen Marshall for the transcription. Remember to follow the links in the episode description to buy a t-shirt, to become a member on Patreon or Steady or to make a one-off donation. Thanks for listening.